Welcome to Masterclass Theology. This is uh, Big Rev. You're with me as always is uh, Mick. Mick, you in there, buddy? I am here. How's it going, Joel? Hey, you know what? It's a little bit rainy out, but otherwise we're okay. One, one of those things where I, I, I took pains today to plant a, uh, a bulb flower in our yard for a school project for my daughter. And I took great effort. The, the, the ground was hard as a rock. In fact, as I was scraping things out, rocks were coming up. And, I, and I, I made a special trip back in to make sure that we had a nice full pitcher of water and to water everything really well that we planted. And uh, little did we know that God was going to do that for us. So, yes, it's, it's a lovely rain. So how are you doing on your end? How's your, how's your uh, COVID-19 uh, stay-at-home quarantine with the family going? I'm going well. I mean, I'm trying to capitalize on a couple of things, slightly inspired by you and some of your postings on Facebook. I've actually been running these last couple of days, uh, the brunt of, brunt of the last five days. Nice. Yeah. Well, we have an interesting uh, class tonight. Uh, so we've got, uh, we're in Ecclesiastes, uh, chat, we're, we're in chapter nine, we're going to be through chapter 10. And, uh, and tonight's class is called Value. And so Koheleth is going to be making some value statements about, uh, is wisdom valued? What kind of wisdom does uh, his society value, and it, it leads us to wonder about what kind of wisdom does our own society value. And you know the answer to that question by um, answering a further question, which is, well, who do people listen to? Or who do people go to for advice? Or when somebody speaks up, who pays attention? In our modern parlance, we would say, okay, um, who are the truth tellers, as in they have so many Instagram followers or so many likes on Facebook or people are just really, really wanting to know what they have to say. And uh, I wanted to open it with uh, open with a word of prayer here and then we want to you know launch into this. Um, and uh, I've got an interesting uh, historical biblical example that's going to lead us in here. But God, we thank you for this evening. I thank you for Mick and I thank you for guiding his family during this uh, this this coronavirus quarantine time. I know with my family, the tempers can run and the, the patience can run out. And it's it's sometimes really hard. I know myself, I stepped my foot in it a couple of times. Had to ask forgiveness at least two times and to almost every member of the family because I just lost my temper. And God, to just pray for whoever is listening right now and their families, Lord, as they are struggling with this brand new normal for as long as we have to do this. And, and, and that we would turn to you during this time, that we would remember that you're faithful and that you are guiding us, and that you have a plan for this, and that uh, none of this is a surprise to you. So why should we treat it as if you're not in control? And so we pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Amen. All right. So, uh, you know, I, I, I want to I open with just reading the first, uh, first set of verses here, because Kohalas is going to bring something up that kind of seems random, but, uh, you know, the, the Bible is never random. So this is in chapter 9, 13 to 18. He says this. I also saw under the sun this example of wisdom that greatly impressed me. There was once a small city with only a few people in it, and a powerful king came against it, surrounded it, and built huge siege works against it. Now there lived in that city a man poor but wise, and he saved the city by his wisdom. But nobody remembered that poor man. So I said, wisdom is better than strength. But the poor man's wisdom is despite his words are no longer heeded. The quiet words of the wise are more to be heeded than the shouts of a ruler of fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. And so there is a biblical example of, of, a, of a very famous siege. 
in the Bible, and it's it's from uh, you know seven centuries before Jesus. This is the time of uh, Hezekiah the king. You'll find him in the book of Isaiah. You'll also find this account in Second Kings. But first, we have this. Um, so I just wonder. I wonder if 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 Koheleth is not Solomon, but he's a later king, then he would have access to this because this happened later in history than Solomon. This is the Assyrian king Sennacherib, 701 BC. He says this. He says, as to Hezekiah the Jew, he did not submit to my yoke. So I laid siege to 46 of his strong cities, his walled forts, and to the countless small villages in their vicinity and conquered them. Himself, I made a prisoner in Jerusalem, his royal residence, like a bird in a cage. So I, I wonder if, 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 if Koheleth is a later king, then he's a, he has access to this historically because we have in 2 Kings 19, um, this very king that was uh, under siege. It says, this is verses uh, the 2 Kings 19, 1 to 4. When King Hezekiah heard this, he tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and went into the temple of the Lord. He sent Eliakim, the palace administrator, Shepna, the secretary, and the leading priests, all wearing sackcloth, to the prophet Isaiah, son of Amos. They told him, this is what Hezekiah says. This day is a day of distress and rebuke and disgrace, as when children come to the moment of birth and there is no strength to deliver them. It may be that the Lord your God will hear all the words of the field commander, whom his master, the king of Assyria, has sent to ridicule the living God, and that he will rebuke him for the words the Lord your God has heard. Therefore, pray for the remnant that still survives. So this Hezekiah, in the midst of all his stress, if he is that wise man in Kohala's example, what wise thing did he do? He went to the prophet of God and said, oh, hey, God, did you hear this? I bet you did. And maybe you have something to say about this, God. Will you deliver us? He came with sackcloth and humility. And, you know, Kohala's opened up here, Mick, with... Uh, uh, this military military illustration. What do we think of could, could, could that could that been a link to to Hezekiah, or is it could have just been something random? No, I, I think it makes a lot of sense that it's Hezekiah. I really do. All right. In the ancient world, the rich were considered wise and given influential positions. And uh, the number two, the social class of the speaker should not determine the wisdom of the speech. So we have this idea here in 16 or 17. Uh, wisdom is better than strength, but the poor man's wisdom is despised. His words are no longer heeded. It, it, we do this kind of in our culture, I think, where we see somebody who has accomplished a lot. Maybe, uh, I don't know, a common American example would be like a Warren Buffett or a Bill Gates, you know, billionaires upon billionaires. And we say, oh boy, I wonder what they have to say about this because they've they're the richest people in the in, in in the country so maybe they have something to say and their words now take on grandiose value and it's different than saying well he ran a really good business so i want to as a business owner i want to look to this guy and find out what he says that's different than oh this person's really rich and famous and he's accomplished a lot so maybe i had to give his words higher value than someone else mick have you ever encountered that that uh, that attitude or have you ever felt that attitude like the the idea, I'm going to turn to a uh, turn to somebody like that, and maybe hear what they have to say versus something else. I, I've seen it. Uh, if you look at uh, even our current president, his his real claim to fame is business. Hmm. And mind you, I'm not trying to get political here or anything. I'm just stating a fact. 
it's just this this tendency of, of a lot of rich guys running for office, and that's kind of been more of a thing of um, I want to say of this past generation than than before, where that's kind of really come to the fore. So Kohaleth gives us this this idea here in, of somebody who hasn't accomplished anything, but is saying something really wise, and people aren't listening to that guy. Because they instead want to hear what the rich and popular guy has to say because they just assume that he's the wise one. And so they're not really taking on the content of a speech. They're just taking on whoever's saying it. And I think that's a real weakness of, of, of our society uh, where we, we're so much of a celebrity culture. And, and the, the, the popular and the Hollywood and the people who are uh, you know YouTube stars or Instagram stars, they're the ones that we're turning to and we even treat it like our politicians, like like they're all of a sudden something really great because they're themselves rich and powerful. So therefore, what they say has to matter more. And then we don't listen to preachers and teachers and, and the, the wise people that we're turning to and the, that, that are God has placed in our life to speak life to us and to speak truth to us. And in verse 18 here. Oh, verse 17, the quiet words of the wise are more to be heeded than the shouts of a ruler of fools. And so people not only pay attention to the wrong speakers, but they give heed to the loudest voices. So someone who's speaking quietly but wisely has more value as a, as a truth teller than someone who's just, you know, spouting off and just speaking really loud. Because when they're really loud, you're tend to, you're going you're gonna to hear them. But are you going to give them the, your intellectual investment? and listening to them and taking them to mind just because they're loud and just because they keep saying the same thing over and over again. And Mick, who does society tend to turn to regarding direction and influence? Who have you seen? Well, you said it earlier. I do believe there's a lot of uh, worship of celebrity. And a lot of that is also because there are people who have money. Mm. So they wield a lot of influence because people just seem to, to follow. Look, Jesus said it in, in, in the New Testament. You can only serve one master. And who was the other competing master? He didn't say Satan. He said money. Because mm. when it gets down to it, the real competition, even, even for the believer, is going to be God or money. When somebody attacks your, your personal finances, you see who that person really is or who that person really turns to as God. See, the devil is never going to mm. come out openly you know hey here i am look at me red red with horns and 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 uh he's gonna he's gonna come to us in the in, in the best his best clothes which is basically the the green dollar making these first few verses who do you think koheleth would encourage you to seek for guidance who, who is the uh, the quiet person that uh, that koheleth would be teaching us I guess if he was speaking in our society, who would he have us listen to and pay attention to? Hmm. He would have us listen to uh, someone, someone uh, who's meek. I, I, I'll think of uh, our pastor, Scott Ziegler. He's, he's not known for being brash or loud or obnoxious or anything like that. He's known for being a very humble, gentle man of God. Uh, even guys like, like Tim Keller. They're not really uh, fiery personalities from the pulpit, but man, do they deliver content and wisdom. Mm. 
Yeah, I think this is really important, especially for our listeners, uh, that most of us or all of us, we're in some kind of a quarantine or some kind of a stay at home. We're we're in some kind of a thing where even if you are one of those employees that's able to go out and work outside the home, you're still having to come home to your family or to your just your house and you're not really going anywhere. You're staying home. And so you find yourself with a lot of free time that you didn't know you had and you find yourself turning to sources of information and turning to just you're just collecting data and and you're, you're getting guidance. You're wondering how to think about this new life that we have and how to process and maybe what kind of opinions you ought to be forming and what conversations you ought to be having, you begin to think about that. And so you're sources of wisdom and, and, and you're turning to people who are spouting off opinions and you are, uh, you're turning to narratives, you're turning to all these things. And so you're doing this. So this is what, this is why tonight's class ha- itself has value because tonight's class is going to cut into that in your life and, and, and really look at, are you doing what you, are you turning to the right kinds of sources? Are you really turning to where you need to be turning to to process this life? And he's going to go off on a few things here. In chapter 10, uh, he, he kind of makes and, – and, and the problem with chapter 10 is we got to remember he's speaking poetically here. So we can't take everything exactly literally because you don't do that with poetry anyway. And so we, we have to try to understand where he's coming from. But 10, 1 to 3, it says, As dead flies give perfume a bad smell – so a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. The heart of the wise inclines to the right, but the heart of the fool to the left. I know a lot of political people who would love that one. Even as the fools walk along the road, they lack sense and show everyone how stupid they are. Now that verse wouldn't play well in my family because right now we're trying not to say the word stupid. I've got young kids at home. And so stupid is one of those words we don't say anymore. So we can't read this verse in the NIV, how stupid they are. Perfumes, uh, number one here. Perfumes are used to disguise the smell of decay at tombs. So especially in the ancient world, th- there was nothing really you could do to uh, to take care of if, if someone is rotting in a tomb. Uh, you can't really do anything about that. I mean, the, it's, the women went to Jesus' tomb with some spices. Some of that was to help break down the body, the, the composition. But part of that was also because, you know, tombs stink and decaying flesh stinks. And so... He's bringing up this idea of uh, there's a disguise here because it, when you put perfume on on something that's stinky, you're not really you're not really taking care of the problem. You're just disguising the smell with something sweet, but that smell is making that sweet kind of look bad. And so, as dead flies give perfume a bad smell, a, fo- a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. And that's a play on words because the word honor means to be weighed, to be to be heavy. So when we give God glory and honor. Uh, we're, we're actually making God more heavy and so more and more significant. So he plays on that a little bit in the Hebrew there. But uh, what disguise is society following? What's the big what's the big disguise that society is trying to feed us, Mick, when it comes to uh, when it comes to wisdom? What What is the dead flies in their perfume? One of the, uh, to me, one of the more most obvious dead flies is uh, where, where they try to frame the argument of. Uh, science versus religion um yeah it, to me that that's one of the biggest stinkiest flies like like we can come up with all the solutions through through scientific method and and, and in and of themselves when they do that they're actually hyping the scientific method to do way more than it was designed to do should only be able to to verify observable phenomena 
you can't verify things like, for instance, you can't prove in a in a laboratory history, and and it it it, it oversteps its uh, its bounds of what it can really manage. I have all respect for science. The problem isn't the science. The problem is the scientists and how they choose to interpret the data. I mean, to me, that's like one of the worst flies you, you have out there. Yeah, I, I've often felt along those same lines is that uh, whoever is holding the microphone gets to gets to have the gets to be the one interpreting the truth. And so society kind of tells us who gets to hold the microphone. And what I experienced in college was I was a very different than the college students I, I, I attended school with. And just the way I perceived things, uh, the kind of person I was and the, what I held to be true. Um, so, for example, I was the lone non-Darwinist in the biology wing or something and the lone theist in the, in the philosophy wing. And so I had natural opposition in there. And so I sometimes wasn't really invited to the conversation table. They didn't really want to hear my opinion. They just wanted this kind of echo chamber of people regurgitating back what they wanted to hear. And see, we do that in our social media. Whoever holds the microphone, whoever we give the power to, they get to then interpret truth and they get to proclaim truth. Or something like truth is only truth. Um, that old line that's, that's still true today, uh, you really can't know truth till you walked a mile in their shoes. Like truth has to be experienced before it's true. And that's just, that's another, that, that to me is a fly in the perfume. It's like my experience doesn't, um, doesn't dictate truth. And in a Christian standpoint, there's the old bumper sticker where God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. Um, the I believe it doesn't matter. It's like God said it, and that's it. It's like my, my my interpretation of God's word doesn't change God's word. And perfumes, uh, we have this disguise society follows. Uh, the wise and foolish people have inner lives set in completely different directions. So this isn't a political thing about the right and to the left. You'll find this in the Proverbs. It'll say things like, turn your foot to the right, never to the left, or just keep your foot from evil kind of thing. What it's telling us here is that the wise and foolish people have these inner lives, this heart, these inner heart. They're set in completely different directions. And so they're completely different on the inside, the wise person and the foolish person. So already there's a difference there. And just in their inside, there's something different about how they tick, how they work. And so and whether it's the right or to the left, it's just showing there's a difference, a complete opposite. And number three here, Kohelet describes a person who is inherently lacking of something needed. In verse three here, even as fools walk along the road, they lack sense. And show everyone how stupid they are. It's, it's like make someone walking down the road and, and like, where are you going? Well, I don't know. How are you going to get there? I'm just going to keep walking. That's not somebody that you're going to follow. You may, you know, journey along them for a time, but that's not someone you're going to base your life and decisions on because they don't know what they're doing. They're just kind of showing how, how ignorant and stupid they are. And um, yeah, what are your thoughts on these first three verses, Mick? Clueless. Well, Going back to uh, verse two, where it talks about the right and the, and, and the left hand, it's, it's just simply that most people were right-handed. And, and uh, again, you know, we associate uh, wisdom with the right and yeah, because people are, are generally more adept to, to using their right arm. Um, like you said, it, it's not, it's not a political thing, although it's kind of funny because it is in the context, I think pre- predominantly of, you know, um, governance here though. Yeah. But yeah, it's not going into right or left wing politics here. Yeah, there are no wings in Coelho's politics. It's just the king and not the king. That's it. Yeah. 
Well, we got that's clueless. The next section we're calling backwards. Uh, verses four to seven. If a ruler's anger rises against you, do not leave your post. Calmness can lay great offenses to rest. Uh, that that works out very well. I, I need I needed to show that one today in my life and my family. That was my big problem today. I should have put verse four into practice. My goodness, uh, there is an evil I have seen under the sun. The sort of error that arises from a ruler. Fools are put in many high positions while the rich occupy the low ones. I have seen slaves on horseback while princes go on foot like slaves. Now, right away here, there is they're, they're looking at this text from what, we've, from what we've gone through before. We're expecting, in fact, he already said it earlier, the poor man, the poor man's not being heeded. So all of a sudden, wait a minute, the, 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 the king didn't put the rich guy in power. What the heck is going on here? And it looks like a contradiction on the face, but you got to remember what's the context here. The context is he's talking about wisdom and what, and, and talking about a ruler, what is the most important thing for a ruler to have in his court? Wise people, people who are rich in wisdom. And so Kohelet sets apart the fool from the rich, thus defining the term rich for the king's advisor. A king's advisor being rich has nothing to do with having money. It have, has everything to do with advice. And the kind of advice he's going to give to the king, because advice is what an advisor is rich in. That is what his value is to the king. You know, when 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 the king of Babylon brought all the all the astrologers and and, and they found out about Daniel, it didn't matter if Daniel was a wealthy man or not. There's just a guy who can interpret dreams. Bring him in here. Let's figure this out. When uh, when when Pharaoh figured that out about Joseph, he was he was rotting in jail. He wasn't rich at all, but he was rich in terms of he can interpret dreams. And so there's some value there. And so when he's talking about this being an issue here, if he didn't, he didn't, he didn't let the right, the the rich ones, uh, take those high positions. He's talking about he's putting he's putting idiots in, tar- in charge here, and the ones who really know what they're doing, they're not being in charge. And it turns right around in the next the next verse, talking about uh, slaves on horseback, princes going on foot like slaves. You know, you could take that literally, but what, what he's really saying there is there's a complete reversal. The last thing he's seeing is is, is uh, the bosses walk while, while the underlings ride. Usually it's the other way around. That's what he's getting at here, is there's something completely backward, and the poetry here describes what seems natural to be reversed. What do you think about 4 I, to 7? I think the big thing he's hitting on is that life is absurd. Life is mm. absurd. Like, everything's turned upside down. Values. clueless backwards and so and that's and that, that kind of goes back to what we value is if we're really valuing the right things then it's gonna it's gonna show itself it's like jesus once said wisdom is shown in her children you're gonna yeah. see it it's like if you're if you're a wise person you're gonna live that way it's gonna come out that way it's like well i'm just looking for the right and and and, and you're studying this book with us listeners so you're you're, you're looking for the wisdom you're looking for how to look at your life and how to live your life. You're looking to to to, live, to make the best kind of decisions, and so we've been we've been learning all this time about what not to do, what not to pursue, but there's also the kind of source of of wisdom not to pursue as well, because it's it's clueless, it's backwards, it's it's absurd as as Mick said, and you know because because things are going to happen in verse eight eight to eight to, to fifteen here, whoever digs a pit may fall into it. Whoever breaks through a wall may be bitten by a snake. Wow. Whoever quarries stones may be injured by them. Whoever splits logs may be endangered by them. 
If the axe is dull and its edge unsharpened, more strength is needed, but the skill will bring success. If a snake bites before it is charmed, the charmer receives no fee. Words from the mouth of the wise are gracious, but fools are consumed by their own lips. At the beginning, their words are folly. At the end, they are wicked madness, and fools multiply words. No one knows what is coming. Who can tell someone else what will happen after them? The toil of fools wearies them. They do not know the way to town. There's that guy again who's walking along. He doesn't know where he's going. And so we have the unknown here. Number one, unforeseen things happen in daily life that bring hurt. He talks about uh, digging a pit and falling in and, and being bitten by a snake as you break through a wall. And you know a guy trying to charm a snake and he gets bitten before the snake is charmed. He's not talking about the wisdom of snake charming. He's bringing it up as an example. And uh, another one, yeah, quarrying stones, be injured by them. Yeah, I mean... There's things that happen in this life, Mick, that we just can't, and, and, and they sometimes really stink, and we can't do anything about that. And so to try to, 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 try to place our life on things that we know, sometimes the unknown happens. Yeah, I mean, what, what these guys are basically are guys that are working. In other words, you're going to have working mishaps. You know, so it's not like you're doing something wrong here. You're doing the right thing, and life still happens. I love, I love how verse 10, he kind of sticks verse 10 in there. And uh, he's talking about, you know, bad things happening. But he, he gives a reminder for the wise person, the one who's out there trying to do the right thing. If the axe is dull and its edge unsharpened, more strength is needed. And so basically, you're not chopping down that tree if the axe is dull. You see, like on a Gordon Ramsay, he's famous for it. Whenever they get on their, 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 tea, their, their like cooking videos, you see him with his knife sharpener. Ching, 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 ching. He's sharpening those knives and going crazy with that knife sharpener rapid fast to get that knife, knife really, really sharp. Because once you have a nice sharp knife, he can you know, fillet the fish or whatever he's doing. But he always sharpens the knife first every single time. So when you're stuck with an unsharpened dull axe, you could cut through the tree, but you're really, really going to have to have at it. So what he's saying here is, is uh, is that the wisdom is uh, wisdom can be like that for someone who's who's in the midst of 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 all of this. He's urging the wise person to persevere. If I can interject there for a second, Joel. You know, again, life yeah, is going to happen, but again, wisdom still has value even in a situation like that. Wisdom, it, it's mm-hmm. like getting that. Um, you know, we're we're we're. Uh, it, it, Wisdom is like if you're slipping on, on, on as you're driving in the snow, but you still manage to get a hold of the steering wheel so that you don't completely crash into something. Wisdom helps with that so that even though you you have this moment that is, is most unpleasant and dangerous, wisdom can, can make the difference of it not being fatal. Mm. So it sounds like what you have control over, be faithful. Mm-hmm. It's like you, you have you have a little bit of influence in your crazy situation. Maybe you have a lot of influence. I don't know. But more often than not, we don't have a lot of influence. We just have an influence over a small thing. And so persevere. Where you where God has given you influence and expects you to be faithful, persevere, even though the odds seem long, even though the situation seems really hard, even though bad things happen. Kind of like maximize your influence. Yeah. And just persevere like that. You may seem you may feel like a dull axe, but keep chopping. Yeah. Mm. 
verse, verse 12, words from the mouth of the wise are gracious, but fools are consumed by their own lips. And this is one of those, you know, yuck, 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 ha, ha, ha verses here. Because he's, he's, again, with our lips, we consume things. You put thing, you put things past your lips to eat it. And so you begin the process of consuming by, by things going past your lips. So he's talking about and lips are the primary way between the lips and the tongue. There's a primary way of speaking here. And so wisdom is like a gift to others. So it's gracious. It's a gift. So wisdom is something you're giving to others. It's not about yourself. The foolish person consumes and, and, and is destroyed. Even in, He's even destroying himself. It's like all that he's doing, he's not gifting anything. You can tell... You, you can tell someone who's really wise in that he really wants to give to people. He wants to be a blessing. He doesn't want to take. And yeah, if he, if he gets success along the way, if he gets out of boys or whatever, out of girls along the way, that's fine. But he's not looking for it. And he's seeking to be a blessing and to give to people as opposed to just receiving. Because the fool is just going to receive. He's going to keep receiving to his own downfall, it seems, Nick. Yes. And the famous, the famous verses here, the foolish multiply words to the benefit of nobody, including themselves. They are insufficient. So the, at the, verses 13 to 15 here, at the beginning, their words are folly. At the end, they are wicked madness, wicked madness. And fools multiply words. That's a mic drop moment, Mick, right there. That's the book of Ecclesiastes. Fools multiply words. You mentioned Scott Ziegler. He, he once had a, uh, and I, I forget where he got this, but, it, but he, I, I think of it with him. He used to talk about elevator pitches. And if you can't sell your idea, like on an elevator ride, you don't know it enough. Could, could, you, could you share the gospel in an elevator ride? Could, could you summarize your point with, you know, a two to three minute elevator ride? Could you talk about your life in 30 seconds? Try talking about that. Christian, if you're listening to this, Think about your testimony, who you are before before Jesus got a hold of you, how Jesus got a hold of you, and now who you are now after Jesus has gotten a hold of you. That's your testimony. Could you nail that down in 30 seconds? Could you share that in a soundbite? If not, practice it. Because honestly, the fools multiply words. And it's just, it's the old pastor joke. You don't, don't, ever, don't ever ask a pastor what time it is. He's going to tell you how to build a watch. That's foolish. It's like short answers are better than long answers, especially in our culture today that is soundbite oriented, that is looking for a small, you know, just boom, 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 boom. Fools multiply words. This is one of those verses that really uh, evokes Proverbs, uh, possibly Solomon, um, you know, in 1019, where it says that when words are many, sin is unavoidable, but he who restrains his lips is wise. When words are right. plenty, sin is present. When words mm -hmm. abound, sin is bound to be there. That's one of my reasons uh, for wanting never really to, to... There's some people who, who love to hear the sound of their voice so much, and it's kind of really... That, that, that is folly. Mm. That really is folly. I've learned the less you say is, is best to say. One of Job's friends is a, uh, a Bildad. I forget who it was. Uh, he said this immortal line, at least it's immortal in my mind. He says, of the making of speeches, there is no end. And then he proceeds by giving another long speech. It's like he complains about everyone's making speeches, but here's mine. 
And here's one more from me. It's like fools multiply words. And, you know, this, this whole culture that we're in with, with the searching for wisdom, we, we, think, we think we're finding something great, but there's, there's dead flies in it. And it's just, it's clueless. It's backwards. It's, it, there's so much we don't know. And I, he closes here with, these are difficult to interpret. Um, the, the Hebrew, I mean, you almost have to go to like a caveman Hebrew here um, to try to understand some of it. But it's just really like very literal. But two kings, 16 to 20. Woe to the land whose king was a servant and whose princes feast in the morning. Blessed is the land whose king is of noble birth and whose princes eat at the proper time for strength and not for drunkenness. Through laziness, the rafters sag because of idle hearts, the house, idle hands, the house leaks. A feast is made for laughter. Wine makes life merry and money is the answer for everything. Now, that's like the most anti-Bible verse of all time right there. If we just rip it out of context, but we won't do that. Do not revile the king even in your thoughts or curse the rich in your bedroom because the bird in the sky may carry your words and a bird on the wing may report what you say. So two kings here. Number one, the first king was ill-equipped and those influence and whose influence led to neglect. So the first guy here is uh, whose king was a servant. The word for servant, the Hebrew is na'ar. That also means like a youth. And so someone who is inexperienced. And so both play here. And so this first guy doesn't have experience. And he's just not equipped. And so you don't want that kind of person as your king, especially in the ancient world. And so he's ill-equipped. And so his people are going to be ill-equipped. He doesn't know how to lead. And it doesn't have to be. I mean, think of a good leader and someone who's not a good leader. You throw, a, you throw somebody who's not a good leader into a leadership position. And yes, in theory, it could work. But more often than not, they're not going to lead well. Because they're just, they're just, that's just not what they're doing. They haven't learned that yet. They have, they're not a they're not equipped for that task. And the second king was better equipped and he kept a firmer hand. And so we got two, two guys here. And so, and then laziness in verse 18, the rafters are sagging through laziness because you're not taking care of it. You're just, your hands are idle and the house is beginning to leak. And uh, in the example he's got here, uh, money was spent on partying rather than on home repairs. Verse 19 is one of those verses that if you rip it out of context, it, it makes the whole, health and wealth gospel play in there. But what's going on here is that they're feasting and they're, they're getting drunk. They're partying and they're having to spend money to do that rather than spending the money on fixing the stinking house that's leaking. And they're not fixing their rafters. They're sitting idle and they're partying away all their funds. And so the money was spent on partying rather than on home repairs. So this first guy who doesn't know what he's doing, he's doing this kind of stuff and the people are, are hurting. And then the kingdom is suffering. And the second guy would know better. And so money is the answer for everything. It is the answer. If you, if you want to pay your party bill, money is the answer. If you want to pay your construction bill to fix the roof, money is also the answer. So in, in terms of paying bills, money is the answer. That, that's, that's not saying money is God. That's saying you, pay, you use money to pay bills. And so but he, the, the, the foolish person paid the wrong bill. What do you think about all that, Mick? This, this, these are some four fun verses. Well, yeah. Going to the story of Joseph in Genesis, part of the reason, again, he, he was the wise one who was elevated because he knew how to manage you know, money and wealth. The whole thing with the resources mm -hmm. is, is the wealth. He knew how to have that, that uh, storehouse ready for, 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 the, uh, for the hard times. Yeah. 
So in verse 20 here, it's like when you're looking at this, even as a reader of this or a listener to this text, you're saying to yourself, boy, that first guy was an idiot. Why would you why why wouldn't you fix the roof? Why why, why would you allow the house to to to, to crumble? while you party away life. That's just, that's just an idiot. We see that in Luke 15 with a prodigal son and just wasting away the father's inheritance on just stupid stuff. It's like, we look at that and go, what an idiot. And so you're tempted here in verse 20 to now start saying that. And so your thoughts. And so I, I love how verse 20 um, is not just about, okay, there's a little birdie going to tell you what you're saying. No, no, no. It, 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 he's making a comment about, about the inner life and how you are in your thought life will most likely be how you are in your word life as you speak. And the most likely will be how you are as an attitude, as you live. And how and the, it's like your thoughts are going to affect your heart. And your heart is going to affect your attitude and your hands and your feet and how you go about life. So it's like, stop that crap while it's still in your mind. It's like when, when it says in the New Testament that they've learned to take captive every selfish thought and put it to be in obedience to Christ. It's, it's like, don't revile the king even in your thoughts. He's like, hey, knock it off inside of you before it comes outside of you. The temptation is to badmouth such leaders, yet the wise are able to guard even their thoughts. Now, that's hard. I like to think, make that my thought life is my own, but I don't, that, that, that's, you know, when it says love the Lord your God with all your mind. That kind of takes that away, doesn't it? Yeah, but even taking that, your, your thought life is your own. Let, let's, let's, let's run with that. Jesus also said, mm. out of the abundance of the heart speaks the mouth. Mm. Amen. And that's why he said that you know, what defiles I, more not what enters the person, but what comes out of the person. Because that, re- that, that, that represents the heart, the core of who you are. And what your real values are. And if you're bad-mouthing kings, well, I'll point you to uh, Romans chapter 13. It tells you don't do that because whether it's a good or bad king, he is God's servant who was put there for a reason. Reasons that only God really knows. And ultimately, he does keep the peace of society. He keeps society from, from unraveling in total chaos. Yeah. You can say what you want to about yeah. Cuba, but all in all, the truth is they do have an orderly society. You can say what you want to about North Korea, but there is an orderly society. Now, I'm not advocating these leaders, but obviously God has them there for reasons, you know, that we don't really know. But we do see that God is doing what he says. He's at least in that sense, keeping a, a certain order in society. Yeah, the old line about Mussolini, the, the great Italian dictator, great as in, you know, largesse, but uh, he kept the trains running on time. And so, <laughs> so there's there's order even the, there's order even in the midst of a despotic. There, there you go. Uh, but we we, we got to cl- close here with some uh, just bringing this home uh, the couple questions, and a couple comments. The first question is, uh, how is wisdom undervalued by our society? So in terms of the value of wisdom. How is wisdom undervalued? What do we think about that? Well, again, a lot of emphasis is put on, on money and things. There, there's a lot of emphasis on sensationalism instead of um, what, what, what really matters. There's a song in, in Spanish, and it's called the, uh, 
it, you know, the, the guitar case, the, the astuche. And, and the idea is that people focus on the, the case of the guitar rather than the guitar that's inside. And, and we've done, and we've done this even back in the old. You, you just keep going back. The very first king, King Saul, was the tallest guy in the land. He was the one. If you looked at this guy, you would think, "Boy, he's got everything going for him." And so, it's and like, handsome. It, this is the first. And person. handsome. He said that he was a good-looking guy. And handsome. I mean, we're always looking to the people who are beautiful, who are rich. Maybe they have a six-pack. Maybe they've accomplished a lot. Maybe they are, you know, and they, they have these things that we want. And so we're going to listen when they open their mouths. And so what that is doing is valuing a certain thing. But when you value something at the expense of something else, that's what's being undervalued. And it's like Martin Luther King was getting at that, was talking about not the color of the skin, but the content of their character. There's something deeper there that we ought to be focusing on versus the external. And so this internal is something deeper there that it's our society undervalues um, truth. For example, truth has to be something that has experienced. And so that's the next question here. What, what is the, the, the pursuit of truth reduced to and what truth does society value? Truth is, is determined by um, a simple majority. 51% can decide what is right. What is wrong by selfishness in terms of society by selfishness. I'm sorry. By selfishness. Yeah. Totally. Whatever's convenient is true. It's, exactly. And whatever is, it's just pop. It's a popularity contest. It's like the worst of high school, the popularity contest. It's like that can decide truth in a pure democracy. It's just, it's just, you get, you get 51% and they can decide it. You can, it's called the tyranny of the majority. And it's that way when it comes to truth as well. So we get the Christians expected to compromise to make everybody happy. And the compassionate Christian must compromise their convictions. And truth is decided by society. And that is the most core value of Christianity is that the Bible is God's word. And that truth is determined by God. And in an ultimate sense, by the Bible. And so, and I mean that in an ultimate sense. So once you have that solved, once you have the, 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 the source of truth solved, then everything that flows from that can help guide you. And so... God's wisdom is above us. It is outside us. It is before us. And we inhabit a larger story whose author knows the beginning, the end, and even controls the plot. And so once you have decided, so whenever I teach theology with people, the first thing I do is go to God's word. It's like the bibliology is is a theological um, construct there. We got to nail what the source of our interpretation is. What is the source of our authority? What really is the authority? If you answer that question, you tell me what you value or who you value. Who is your authority? How do you turn to him? How do you follow that? And because otherwise, we're all going to collect the same data. We're all going to have different interpretations of that data. And make your interpretation may be different than mine, but you've lived di- different chapters of your life than I have. And so who am I to say that your interpretation is wrong or is less correct than mine? Because you've lived your life and I've lived mine. And so it's just natural relativism to truth. When truth is, is, is diminished by an experience, then how can I ever say you're right or you're wrong? There's a real weakness there. Yeah, and I'll, I'm going to go as far as saying this. The first thing that God reveals to us about himself in the Bible is that he is the creator. 
And I think that it's very important that he reveals himself as the creator because as the creator, he also identifies himself as the arbiter of truth and the definer of, of everything that comes afterwards. He, by virtue of him being the creator, he assigns everything its purpose. He defines what is truth. And he gets to do that. He doesn't tell us that he's love. He doesn't tell us he's a trinity, at least not in the first verse. But he tells us he's the creator because once he's the creator, that means that he's got the creative rights for everything that proceeds afterwards. That's good stuff, listener. That is your job, old listener, right now. You've got to figure out in the midst of your life, in the midst of the, the, it seems like the whole world has hit pause right now and you are stuck there on your couch or stuck there with the, head, the headphones on your head listening to this. You're trying to figure it out. Maybe you're at home all day with your kids and now you got to work and you're, wor- you're bouncing all these things. You've got all these plates spinning on the ends of sticks and you're just exhausted and, and a brand new kind of exhaustion at the end of your day. I know it is that way for me. My goodness. But what is that truth source? What is what has the most value when it comes to your input, when it comes to the things that you're 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 making value statements, truth statements, you're you're making foundational statements about your life and about the direction of your life. It's like what what is that source? Who has that microphone in your life? Who is the one that you're turning to and what is it? Because it's so tempting to turn to the rich and the powerful and the beautiful. And turn to them as our source because everybody else is and we want to fit in and we want, we want everybody to like what we're saying. And so we can't wait to find something and then post it on Facebook and see how many likes we get. What is it? What is that source? And I got to tell you, it's Kohelet would say, would say, you know what, that person you're turning to is not rich and you're going exactly backwards and you, you think you're doing this, but really you're, you're falling prey to the clueless, the backwards and the absurd and you're like that king who is a uh, you know just parting away the, the funds instead of utilizing what you have and what influence you've been given for the glory of something greater than yourself and someone greater than yourself mick you want to close this out before we close yeah let's um <laughs> you know i think one of the things that our good buddy james Owalatwa says that somebody once asked him what do you think about this hot button issue and james answered them It doesn't matter what I think about this hot-button issue. The real question is, what does God say about it? What does God say about it? Put God before the self. Put God before the selfish. Put God before money. Put God in front of everything. And I think that that's what Kohala is trying to get us to focus on. Let's um, it's good stuff. Yeah, let's close in a word of prayer then. Amen. Father, our Father, we, we love you. And we love you because you loved us first. And I got that from your word because I wouldn't have figured that out on my own unless I turned to your word. And as, as I turn to your word, your word instructs me as to who you are and as to who I am in light of who you are. You define reality for me. You define truth for me. You define everything for me. You are, as Joel mentioned earlier, but he only mentioned it because it says so in your word. You are in complete control. Nothing catches you by surprise. You are a mighty God, and we could spend hours here just in in, in the act of worshiping you for all you, you, you do. 
and everything you've done and um and, and everything you will do. But obviously we don't have that kind of time. But I I encourage um our listeners to to meditate on this after we're done here and when they go into their private times of prayer that they may they may reflect on you. Uh, not to put a, a time limit, but it, it's got to go beyond five minutes. So just surely reflecting on who you are and, and the grandeur of you and, and the awesomeness of the gift of your word. Oh, my God, you have entrusted us with your word. Man, what an honor. What a privilege. And something to take so serious. I thank you so much for every word that is written in this book. I thank you for every every period, every every iota. It is not man-made. It was not by man. Peter made it clear. This is not of human design or human origin. This comes from you. And we believe that because you have made it clear in our lives. Your spirit testifies with our spirit within us. Again, these these things we know because of your word, not because of experience. We know this because of your word. And I thank you for that because we have assurances. One of the big things in Ecclesiastes that Kohala is trying to tell us is, you know, when, when things are going upside down, the only thing you have to go on is God's word, your word. So we trust in your word. And I hope and pray that we can take more time to plug into it and meditate in it. And in the midst of this, this COVID-19 that we're all going through, that you will guide us through it. And we know that we can put our confidence in you no matter what happens, whether we lose our jobs, whether we lose our lives or health or whatever that we know we can put our confidence in you because you said it and that's it. Thank you for everything. I thank you for, for Joel leading this and, and, and the work that he puts into this. Um, bless him because this, this was really good stuff. I, I love the fact, I love his love of, the, of your word and um, it motivates me and it inspires me to, to approach your word similarly. And I just pray for our listeners that they too may, may do the same thing. Thank you for everything, and in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, brother. Yeah, we're this has been Masterclass Theology coming to you from Ecclesiastes 9 and 10. Uh, one more week next week in Ecclesiastes. We, we, we bring it home, and we got something brand new after that. Anyway, God bless you. This has been uh, Joel and Mick from, uh, from Ecclesiastes 9 to 10. Have a good night. Uh, good night, and God bless.